Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County in Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, who is a nurse practitioner, and we've been doing this show for uh, a whole lot of years now. I think that's really cool. It really is. It's been fun. Cora is also working on her doctorate degree as mm-hmm. a nurse practitioner, University of Texas, Houston. Yes. And uh, that's pretty exciting, too. It is. It is. It's been a lot of hard work. I'm now in my, it, getting toward my second semester ending, uh, so that's exciting, and uh, we'll complete the first year at the end of the summer. And working on my new DNP project now, working toward getting that completed. And how many years is this program? So I'll graduate in 2021. Um, so in May of 21. So it's a total of three years. And first year is almost done. A uh, lot of complaining, a uh, lot of griping, but getting through it, okay. Well, getting back to school had to be a change for you. It is. And, and actually, I, if I could, I'd be a student for the rest of my life. I really enjoy learning. Um, what I don't enjoy is the time away from family. And being an adult learner is difficult. And a lot of our seniors, I'm finding a lot of our seniors are deciding to go back, whether it's to pursue careers or when I went to nursing school, I was, of course, I was 20 when I was in nursing school, but I had a, uh, a student, a fellow student who was 65. This was her second career. She was a teacher, had retired, and was raising her grandkids and said, you know what? I want to set an example for them. I never want to quit learning. Wow. Yeah. And here you are. And here I am. I never thought I'd be doing it at, well, greater than 40, let's say that. <laughs> uh, but here I am, and I'm going to set the example for my kids, too. Undergrad at Texas Tech, master's at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and your uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders are in the sweet 16 in I the know. NCAA How tournament. I know. exciting. And by the time this airs, who knows? Maybe who they'll knows? still be there I hope so. for the sweet eight. I hope so. That would be nice. That would be great. As you think about the kinds of things we've talked about, one of them is flu and flu shots. And mm-hmm. I discovered when we got together earlier today, you had the flu last I week. I did. And you had had a flu shot. I did. I did. And so that's, that's a big misconception is that if you receive the flu shot, that you are completely 100% guarded against the flu. And that is not true. There are so many different types of strains. You know, there's flu A, flu B, H1N1, you name it, swine flu, bird flu, you got it, right? There's so many different types of flu out there. And the vaccine can only take the best guess at what we had last year. So This year's flu season, next year they'll be making a vaccine for it, and they'll guard against what potentially could come up for next year. We don't know that. So unfortunately, yes, I did receive the flu shot and still got the flu, but it could have been worse. I could have had the flu symptoms for 10 to 14 days, and I didn't. I was down for about three to four. And tell us, uh, for our women radio listeners, how you knew you had the flu. I know you got tested to prove it, but what were the first symptoms? So the very first symptoms I had uh, was just a dry cough at first. In fact, that started on Tuesday evening, and I I knew something was wrong. I felt more of like an allergy. I had remembered looking at the radio. I'm sorry, looking at the the television, not the radio. It's radio radio, with pictures. Can I? (laughs) Right? Looking at the television and seeing that the oak was high, and, and I know that I am allergic to oak. And I had just told my husband the day before, I said, you need to remember to take your Claritin every day. I take Allegra, he takes Claritin, we switch off and on. I said, because, you know, the oak pollen is really high, you're allergic to it, and I can hear you're kind of raspy in your voice. And he said, okay. I said, you know, the fortunate thing is I never get sick because I've been taking my Allegra every single day. Well, what do you know the next day? I should have never open mouth, insert foot, right? I should have never done that. But instead, I did. I started getting this dry, hacky cough. I wasn't coughing up anything. I didn't have a sore throat. I didn't have a runny nose or fever, chills or anything like that. But this dry cough. And then the next morning when I woke up, I felt really tired. I just felt drained of complete energy. I did take the kids to school, and I had prepared to take the next day off anyway to work on school. 
Well, on your that, school, on my school, right. that didn't work because when I sat down to look at the computer, things just look foggy. My brain would not turn on. I, I could not concentrate. And then the fever and the chills started. And I took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, which you need to ask your doctor if that's OK for you to do. And I laid down and I slept for about 12 hours and and I felt awful. I, I told my husband, I said, I really feel like I'm dying. And it was the fever. The fever is what was so bad. And the worst part about it is normally when you take something for fever within 30 to 45 minutes, it'll break. Mine wasn't breaking. It took a good two hours for the ibuprofen to actually kick in to relieve the fever. And then once the ibuprofen was gone, the fever was right back. So I knew that I needed to go get tested just to confirm that I did have the flu. I had all the symptoms of it, the cough, and the cough just hurt so deep down in my chest. But no no ear pain, no throat pain, no runny nose, nothing like that. And you got tested and? I got tested and I had flu A. And as I was talking to the gentleman, uh, the physician assistant who tested me, he said, you know, flu has been really late this year. It's not as bad as it was last year, but it's been really affecting children this year. He said just the other day in the last couple of weeks, he's seen children come in with A and then come right back with flu B. So if you do get the symptoms again, despite having the Tamiflu, you need to return back to the doctor. You need to get tested and you need to get treated right away. You have a very small window of opportunity to get to get treated before you can um if you outgo that um that window of opportunity they can't give you the tamiflu and it can't knock down the symptoms as quick and one of our twins kennedy got type a flu Mm -hmm. uh, i guess a month or two ago Mm -hmm. I i wanted to ask you about late because you know we all tend to believe when spring comes flu's gone yeah, we do. And, and that is absolutely not true. And you're the proof. I'm the proof. You know, two years ago, I remember my last patient was seeing, let's see, I diagnosed the flu the last time it was the end of April. So the flu can last so much longer than what we think. We think that there's a six-month window between September and March, and it's gone. But absolutely, that is not the case. You can get the flu up until May. That's how long it can last. So for those who haven't had a flu shot, is it too late or? Absolutely not. So it takes about two weeks for the flu shot to actually kick in in your body and build up your immunity. So get the flu shot. It's never too late. One of the prerequisites for school is that you actually get the flu shot. Um, So without a doubt, I knew I had to get it unless you can prove that you have an, an immediate allergy to it. So I knew I had to get it. But here I went with the flu. But, I, you know, again, I, I know that the flu shot did not give me the flu. My flu shot was months right. and months right. ago. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that I like to make sure that patients know all the time is the flu shot does not give you the flu. It just triggers your immune system to build up those immunology, you know, essays that you can, that you can actually fight against them. Now, if you just joined us, uh, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. And we began talking about Cora and the flu. She's looking much better. I look much better, yes. I feel much better. You bounced back. I did. I still get tired, and I still have a little bit of rasp to my voice, and, and the cough is horrible. You and I talked about that. We both share you I know, have a breaks. cough, too. We share breaks in between, you know, where we one of us has to start talking on the mic while the other one, you know, Coughs. is having a coughing fit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I want to switch gears for just a minute because mm-hmm. someone we know uh, was, was asking about high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I w- was always told as a kid, that's the silent killer. You don't know if you have it and it can kill you. Absolutely. You know, not so long though, not so long ago though, do we start realizing that it's not so silent though, because people do have symptoms of high blood pressure that they tend to ignore. And so I always tell you, you know, your body is telling you a story and it's telling you to listen to it and you have to pay attention, but you have to know what you're listening for. So blood pressure, yeah, it's one of those like diabetes though in the beginning where you don't know that you have it and what you don't know can absolutely hurt you. So what happens is the blood vessels in your body, they constrict and they dilate depending on what's going on within your body, whether you're exercising or whether you're laying down and sleeping, you know, they adjust and they also adjust based on medication. It adjusts based on um, excitement and stress in the body. 
But what happens when you get high blood pressure is the the vessels inside your body, they constrict. And so imagine trying to pump blood through or like a water hose. You know, you have you have a very narrow water hose and you've got to pump a large amount of water out fast. Well, if you look at the fire department and you look at their hoses, their hose diameter are much larger for the amount of water that they need to pump out. So the same thing happens. We need to be able to relax those blood vessels to to open them up so that you can pump blood fast through them and get from the brain down into the toes. But unfortunately, when they constrict, it's pumping so hard and your heart is having to pump iron, basically. It's working overtime to try to get that blood flow through. And so you start getting weaker and weaker blood vessels. They also don't always have to constrict, but you can also get cholesterol buildup inside of your blood vessels. And think about a hose that has a hairball in it that you're trying to to get water through, it's very hard to pass that water through and you get trickles of water until one day that 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 hairball passes. So blood pressure... For people that don't know what blood pressure actually means, and we can talk about the different ranges of what the expectations sure. are, especially for our senior population. So, you know, we used to hear about 120 over 70. That was the di- that was the number, that was the ideal number for everybody, 120 over 70. Well, we've since we've since learned different. So, we follow these guidelines um, which are cardiology guidelines, heart guidelines, and all these different associations get together and they create guidelines to tell us Okay, based on your age, based on the the disease processes that you have, here's what the expectation is for your blood pressure. For our elderly, we're now starting to see that it should be no higher than 140 over 90. So 140 over 90 means that if your blood pressure is 140 over 90, it's too high. It needs to be 138, oh, I mean 139 over 89, okay? So less than 140 over 90. Now, what is elderly by definition? Elderly, I say 65 and older, okay? But people who have diabetes or have high blood pressure, I mean, high cholesterol, those are the people who could probably also go up to about 140 over 90 and less, okay? But for younger people, people in their 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I would say no higher than 140 over 90. But if you're an exerciser, your blood pressure should be lower because your blood vessels will be open. But if your blood pressure is sitting around, you know, 138, uh, 135, and you get that higher number of 90 to 100, that's when you need to start becoming worried. And you need to start exercising because you need to open up those blood vessels. You need to make sure you're hydrated and you're passing lots of fluid and you're not dehydration. Your body's trying to hold on to all of that water. And so you end up having higher volume in your blood system or in your blood um, vein system. And so you're holding that water and you're pumping harder. One thing I remember uh, my cardiologist, Dr. Chris Thompson, talking about after I was diagnosed with uh, atrial fibrillation, AFib, Mm -hmm. uh, was that water can collect uh, down at the bottom and around the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's not good. No, and that's usually seen with congestive heart failure when you're not able to pump it out into circulation. And that's when you require harder, um, more effective, I guess, diuretics. So medications that actually pull the fluid, but they also pull a lot of potassium out too. So for people who don't have congestive heart failure, which you know can happen over time if your blood pressure is high over long periods of time, your heart works so hard that it just says, I'm done. I'm tired. I can't pump this water out. So you end up with congestive heart failure and, and heart disease. But for people who do not have that, they can give them other diuretics like hydrochlorothiazide. It's one that I take. We also call it HCTZ for people who cannot pronounce it. It is not um, not one that wastes a lot of potassium or any of the other electrolytes, so it's pretty safe. It doesn't give you the cramping unless you're not drinking anything at all. But if you're not drinking anything at all and you're still using the bathroom, you're going to get a headache. You're going to get a really bad headache. Because? You're dehydrated. You're losing fluid. So making sure that you're drinking plenty of fluids, making sure that you're trying to avoid that salt too. And you will, you're going to, you're going to urinate a few more times a day than you normally would. And, and we were talking earlier in the green room um, with our producer and he was saying, you know, that he has high blood pressure. And so we were talking about taking hydrochlorothiazide. And he says it makes him so sleepy that his medication combination makes him sleepy. And, and we talked about taking it at night, but 
Who would want to take a diuretic at night? He has a CPAP. He has to get up. He'd have to take it off, unseal, go to the bathroom, come back, put the CPAP back on, get situated and get comfortable. And and that doesn't work either. So it's a fine balance when you're taking medication. So I'm on Lasix, also a Mm -hmm. diuretic. And if I take it by 6 or 7 o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm done going frequently by 11 or 12. That's good. That's so good. I kind of time it out. Yeah, you can. You can definitely time it. You, can, you know, it's it's one of those I would play with it on the weekends and see how it does. For me, my hydrochlorothiazide, if I take it by 3 o'clock, I know I'll be done by the time I go to the go to bed and then I'll be done going to the bathroom. But if I, I really try during the day to take it first thing in the morning. That way, by the time I get home, I can kind of relax and not have to worry about, you know, peeing constantly. And one of my kids said to me, Daddy, you go to the bathroom a lot. I know. And that's why a lot of our patients who have high blood pressure really struggle with medication adherence is because they don't want to have to go to the bathroom all the time, especially if they have to go and work or if they have to go and um, uh, go to a doctor's appointment that's far away. You know, there's not always places to stop. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. We'll talk more about... Frequent PP. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. We are so pleased you are with us today on WellMed Radio on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, nurse practitioner Cora Juke is here, fresh from recovering from the flu, and we talked about that at the top of the show Yes, the flu is still here. Yes, you can. If you haven't, can still get a flu shot. And come the fall, you'll need another one because it'll be a little different than the one you get this year. We were talking about medications. And, uh, Corey, you used a, a interesting term, adherence, mm-hmm. uh, which means are you really taking the medication? Mm-hmm. So for, for patients who don't know, you know, Medicare actually holds your doctor to a standard. So when you sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan, whether it's with United Healthcare or Humana or Aetna or even straight up Medicare, your your insurance program holds your doctor accountable for how adherent you are to your medications. And it is really important as a patient that you collaborate with your physician and you talk about what, what barriers you have to taking your medications. Because when I write a prescription, prescription for somebody. My thought is that they're going to go home, they're going to go to their pharmacy, they're going to pick it up, they're going to go to their home, and they're going to take it just as I told them to, because we've collaborated, we've, we've used shared decisions, and, and we've, we've come up with a good plan. However, things get in the way Income, life. finances, yes, travel, loss of medications, you, you name it, anything can get in the way and can stop people from taking you know, their medications. So when Medicare holds us to a standard, they expect that we collaborate with the, phys- with the patient. And if things change, that we make a change in the record. So for example, high blood pressure. If I put you on a high blood pressure medication, because I've diagnosed you today as high with high blood pressure. I say, Ron, I'm going to start a new medication. I'm going to start Losartan, okay? It's a specific class. It's an ARB class of medication. It protects the kidneys. It's very safe. It's an old, old class of drugs. And typically, it's on tier one of your insurance. That means it's pretty affordable. Sometimes it's only $5 a month. Sometimes it can go up to about $36 a month. But I really want to work with you and your insurance and your income to make sure that you have the most appropriate medication for the cost, the best bang for your buck. But if things change, I need you to let me know. 
So you go pick up your medication and you start taking it. Well, it causes a side effect for you and you don't like it. Maybe it makes you sleepy and it's three months before you come back to see me. Well, you are due then three months later to take your, you know, pick up your new medication refill. So 90 day interval. Right. You don't pick it up. So then the insurance is going to let me know, hey, Cora, Ron didn't pick up his medication. Now he's using what we call gap days. Okay, you only have 20% of the days, so roughly about 70 days in the year that you can use called gap days. So if you don't pick up your medications, it the clock starts timing those days. And every day, and it's cumulative throughout the year, so anytime you miss a refill, anytime you start using those gap days and you run out, you failed the metric. And that reflects negatively on me as a provider saying that you're not providing good care for these patients. So that's why it's so important for patients to say, you know, Ron say, Cora, it's really giving me side effects. I don't like it. I'd like to switch to something else so that we can talk about that. Because if you're not adherent, it's not doing any good sitting on a shelf for you. Taking it every other day, if you decide, okay, I like it, but I I can only take it every other day. Maybe I can only afford to take it every other day or I'm going to break it in half. You need to communicate that with me because one, I got to keep an eye on what your blood pressure is doing too. Because if half a pill is not managing your blood pressure well, you're also suffering internal consequences as well besides financial for not picking up your medication. And so you know if I'm not picking it up. Absolutely. And if I come in to see you, Uh, You can say to me, gee, I I notice you're not picking up your medication. Right. And, you know, a lot of times it's all done by claims. So your pharmacy actually submits a claim to the insurance to say, hey, your, your patient has picked up their medication. It's not done at the time that I fill it. It's done at the time that you actually pick it up. And so that's based on claims. I can't forge that information. You can't. Nobody can do it except when it goes through in claims. So pharmacies will usually call me and let me know. If you're about five days late on your fill, they'll say, hey, you may want to reach out to your patient because the pharmacy is also doing that, too. A lot of times they have those automated programs where they'll call and say, looks like you're going to be due for a refill. Would you like us to call your physician to get that refill authorized? So, yeah, they're they're letting me know. And that way I can reach out to you and say, hey, Ron, what's going on with your medications? Now, a lot of times our patients will say, I'm taking my medications. Maybe my husband died and and I'm taking his medications because why go pick up new medications when we were taking the same thing? There is a problem with that, though, because it doesn't look like you're adherent to your medication. And we really try to get you on the cheapest thing possible so that you're not having a whole bunch of expense out of pocket. Now, as you take a look at uh, uh, some seniors who are on multiple medications, mm-hmm. one of the issues often is keeping it straight. Did I take what I'm supposed to take when I was supposed to take Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, How do you help people with that? That's really hard. You know, um, we've, as PCPs, we struggle with that every day. Um, we have pill boxes that we've set up for patients. But someone's um, got to remember to fill the pill Somebody has to remember to fill them. And, and that's what's nice about um, about WellMed is that you can meet with a health coach and the health coach can actually help you fill those for those patients who take so many medications. But now pharmacies are pretty getting pretty wise to this too. And they're making individual peel packs that are dated and so you'll know that on Monday, March 25th, that you have a package of pills that you have to take. And if tomorrow, Tuesday, March 26th, Monday, March 25th is still there, you know that you've missed your medications. Yeah. And so they're coming up with new ways to remind people because medication adherence is so important. And when you miss, should you double up? Absolutely. So if I didn't take them yesterday, I'll take them all today. Absolutely not. But I, you'd probably be surprised. Maybe you wouldn't about the number of patients who actually do that. You got to remember, you can only have so many milligrams per kilogram inside your body. Sometimes your body will flush it down, and sometimes you can become toxic with some of these medications, especially in combination with the two. So, like a heart medication, amiodarone, you would not want to double up and take two because that could actually kill you. 
It would only stop your heart. It would stop your heart. And if you can't get to it, yeah, if you can't get to a healthcare worker fast enough, then it will kill you. And that's what I try to explain, especially to our seniors, is that you need to understand that you need to communicate with your physician. You need to communicate with your provider all the time. If you miss something, call them and let them know, because more than likely, they're going to say, monitor your blood pressure today and don't worry about it today. Or if your blood pressure gets to this amount, then I want you to take X, Y, and Z pills, but really don't double up because toxicity in seniors is so, so prevalent because their their waste system, it's not as fast as it used to be. So I loaded on my uh, smartphone a uh, software that I enter when I've taken my medication. Oh, that's great. But you have to remember to enter it. Sure, sure. Um, also alarms, alarm clocks, you know, smartphones are well, so this nice. Program- Reminds me. Sure. You haven't taken your five o'clock or whatever medication. Sure. Or what if you but what if you just dismiss it and say, Yeah, I took it. I'm done. Well then it doesn't know. Exactly. And it, so it trusts you. Right. So smartphones are, are great, but I kinda like the smartphone that would have a hand that would go out and like administer the pill uh, to you, right? Kinda like the alarm clock yeah. that would just hit you over the head saying, Get up. We don't have that yet. I know. Wouldn't that be great though? Or like an electric shock, right? Not that I, not that I want to mild, shock any of my patients shock. or yeah. anything, but hey, take your meds. <laughs> kind of cattle prod shock. Exactly. Won't kill exactly. you, but it'll get your attention. Sure, sure. Kind of uh, zap you. <laughs> Remembering to take medication mm-hmm. uh, is exponentially more difficult the more you take. Oh, absolutely. We call it polypharmacy for our seniors. Uh, they take lots and lots of medications. And... By the time they take the first three, who wants to take six, right? Who wants to take another three pills? And you're full and you think, oh, I'll take them later. Give me five minutes. And then you sit down, you take and a you nap. Forget. And you don't take your medications exactly. Remembering to take them is the hardest part. Ron, I'm 41 years old and there's some days where I walk out of the door and I think, I forgot my medicine. Oh, no. And I don't go back to go get it. You know, that's just not the priority at the time. So I can understand how our seniors often forget how to take when to take their medication. Are there any answers to that other than having an aide who does it for you? And most of us can't afford an aide. You know, that's the that's a twenty thousand dollar question or I guess sixty thousand dollar question. Right. If if we could invent something that would make sure that people took their medication, it would be great. We have all sorts of resources available, but not everybody learns on the same medium. And so everybody needs something different. There's smartphone programs and apps. There's pill bottles. There's alarm clocks. There's people to remind you. I mean, I remind my husband to take things all the time and and yeah, 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 and he doesn't do it. And and I could even sit there with the pill in my hand and, and look at it, and he just thinks it's going to miraculously get into his mouth. You know, that's it, it's all different ways that people learn. So there's not one particular program or idea that has worked yet. She's Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, co-host of WellMed Radio. With me, I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer and podcasts of all of our shows are available. If you want to pick up this one and share it with someone who you suspect may not be taking their medications or may have the kind of issues we've been talking about, it's easy to do. You can download it. You can email it. You can ship it to friends and neighbors. And you can even put it on a website if you want to do that. So we're talking about blood pressure. We started talking about flu and then blood pressure and high blood pressure. What about low blood pressure? So low blood pressure is often something that people that are elderly experience, um, especially as they're a little more dehydrated too. You know, they just don't have the volume anymore. Unfortunately, a lot of our elderly just don't get thirsty anymore. And that 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 trigger to drink something, because they're not going outside and they're not being active a lot of times. A lot of times they're, they're confined to their home. And so they're not as active and they're not getting thirsty. And so that reflex is not saying drink something. And so their volume goes down, they're still urinating. When they stand up, they get dizzy. What is that? That's volume depletion. And that is hypovolemia. And that leads to hypotension or low blood pressure. And that can cause people to pass out. Low blood pressure is definitely an issue. I always encourage everyone who's on any type of blood pressure medication or has any chronic disease, keep some type of blood pressure monitoring device in your home. If you're not feeling well, if you're feeling dizzy that day, check your blood pressure because it could be high or it could be low. But yeah, high blood pressure definitely affects elderly, but low blood pressure can be really bad because it leads to falls. 
So what would low blood pressure be? So low blood pressure, you know, it just depends on the person. Um, low blood pressure for me might be 110 over 60, but for you it might be 80 over 40. It really just depends on the person and what they normally run. So we like to keep an average of blood right. pressures, and I like people to check it at different times during the day. You know, check it once a day, really. Not more than once a day, but keep a log. And so you know that at noon when it's time to take a nap, that you know, your blood pressure is going to be a little bit lower because you're going to be laying in your recliner. But when you Excuse go and pick me? up... Did you say take a nap at noon? I nap. like that. I'm advocating for that. Let's I really do, that. do believe that. I believe that. And I do believe that in doctor's offices, when we close for lunch, we should be allowed to nap, you know, from like lunch sure. from noon to two. Now, a power nap, that I could ima- I can just imagine how much work I could get done if I could I got a friend work. who works at a local restaurant where they're open for lunch until... Two, and then they reopen for dinner at five. Uh-huh. And rather than go home, he generally curls up in a booth somewhere and sleeps for an hour. I think it's great. It's really good. And it's for fine the body. with management. Yeah, it's really good for the body and in the mind to recharge. Um, there's been lots of research that have been done lately on on the power nap and how. Um, Progressive companies have been in in allowing power naps and how how productive their workers are when you give them power naps. And, and I think I could go with a power nap. Yeah, I could lay down and sleep anytime. So that's OK. Um, but but yeah, at noon, I think a lot of our elderly should be able to sleep at noon. Hey, if I retire, I should be able to sleep whenever I want to. Right. Yeah, the late uh, President Johnson used to nap every day, a power nap. Yes, yes. A good 45 minutes, you know, resting your eyes and just kind of letting, you know, your brain recharge is, is exactly what people need. Now, someone told me if you sleep too long in a nap, uh, it's counterproductive. You, you just drag you the rest right. of the day. Right, so 45 minutes to an hour should be the maximum that you should you should sleep in a nap. Um, otherwise, too, you're not oh, I'm exactly ready now. exactly you're not able to to recover throughout the day, and then you're not going to sleep well in the evening time either. Yeah, if you, if you nap too long. Yeah, if you nap too long. Yeah, interesting. You get too used to it. Now, my wife and I have been trying to go to sleep earlier of late. Okay, we uh, ordinarily have been staying up probably till midnight or so, watching the late night shows. Sure. Now we tape them and watch them early the next evening uh-huh. from the day before. Sure. And try to go to sleep 10, 9.30, 10. So What's funny about you're making that, me tired, Ron, because I can't stay up till midnight. Like, no, I don't anymore. At 9.30, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. My brain is fried. Best part about it, if you do wake up to go to the bathroom... You look at the clock and it's 11.30. Yes. And you think it's the middle of the night, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. So you do absolutely. a little happy dance. I like exactly. that. I got so much more time to sleep. Yeah. Yay. Right. Yeah. You know, as I was, when I was younger, I used to be able to stay up till all hours of the night and do whatever. You know, I could study and I could do all that. Now, when my kids go to bed at 9.30, I'm out. I can't, I'm not functional after that. You're only 41. I know, but I need my beauty rest. I need it. I, and I'm, you know, even when I was younger, my mom used to tell me that same thing. She said, you know, you always needed to sleep. You, you know, if you didn't get enough sleep, you were a grouch the next day. And I still am to well, this that's day. That's our kids. Mm-hmm. I still yeah. am. So yeah, I, I advocate for people trying to go to bed a little earlier and then getting up earlier because in the summertime here in Texas, it's so hot that I say getting up early and exercising in the wee hours of the morning, of course, when the light is available, right? I don't want people falling because it's It's pitch dark. black at 7 a.m. now. True, true. But you can go, you can go to different places that are lit up and or to a gym and it's a lot, it's a lot cooler outside than it would be at, you know, noon. Sure. So, yeah, I, I definitely advocate for people trying to get to bed earlier and, and getting their body in some kind of a rhythm of that, too, rather than, you know, midnight now and then nine the next day and then, you know, two in the morning. And I always tell people who are having problems with sleeping, I say never lay in bed and toss and turn. If you wake up and you cannot go back to sleep qu- quickly, get up and get out of the bed. The bed should be associated not with watching TV in the late show. Right, Ron? It should be associated with sleep and sex. And so you should get up and out of the bed if you're not able to sleep. And do what? Go to the other room. You can watch television in the in the living room, sitting up, but not in the bed because your brain associates not being able to sleep with your bed. I saw a piece on blue light also. Okay. Folks who look at their phones yes. into the night yes. are getting a dose of blue light, which keeps you awake. Yes, yes. Now, you know, the phones have that... that True light it's got that, a they, nighttime that they do, 
But, you know, the bad thing is, is we really should not be looking at technology because our brains are constantly going too. It yeah, not only to looks at the brain, look, okay, not only looks at the eyes and what the eyes are responding to, but what the brain is. I know last night, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big Walking Dead fan and I didn't watch it last night, but I caught the tail end. And so I had to know, you know, it was just killing me. I had to know who, who died. And so... Oh. At two o'clock in the morning, I had to go to the restroom, right? So I wake up and I go and I come back and I get on my phone. Ah. And guess what? I couldn't sleep for another 35 minutes after I looked. Because you got so stimulated. Why did I do this? Exactly. And that's what smartphones are doing to us. They're they're letting us Your husband works EMS Mm -hmm. at a firehouse, Mm -hmm. crazy hours, Mm -hmm. sometimes wakes up middle of the night, has to go save somebody's life, come back, go to sleep. How does he deal with that? The answer is he doesn't. Well, you know, I guess it's something you get used to. What's interesting is is people ask me all the time is, does he come home and sleep the next day? And he does not. Um, there's way too much to do at home. There's never time to sleep, except if he sits down on the sofa, you'll catch him snoring. Yeah, yeah, that's when he falls asleep. But no, he doesn't sleep the next day. He's fully active. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how waking up in a dead sleep to an alarm, you have to get up, get dressed, go and drive somewhere, and and even fight fires, and then come back and go back to sleep. I don't know how they do it. I think they're absolute heroes for being able to do that because I can't. My brain doesn't make that adjustment. How many hours or days on and then off? They're on for 24 um, hours and then off for 48. Now, if they're paramedics, they're on for 24 and off for 72 because the paramedics don't really come back to the station. They're out all night long. Really? Yes. Yes. Now, my husband is a firefighter, so he, he actually is a, he drives right. the fire truck. So he, they make medical runs, but they don't do the EMS. He doesn't work the box. Yeah. In fact... Often the truck gets there before the ambulance. Yes. And they're able to cancel the ambulance if necessary, if it's not, if they're not needed, which, you know, they really try to do because they know that these EMS workers, they run constantly. Some of them never come back to the station. You know, they're eating in the truck and, and and it's hard. It's a really hard job. Mm -hmm. But he loves it. He does. He does. Will you do it for free? No, I wouldn't. I interviewed the fire chief in Alamo Heights, writing Uh a feature about him for 78209 magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. Neatest guy. Mm-hmm. I asked him, how did he get into the business? Well, mm-hmm. he was working construction uh, while he was in college. And most of the guys he was working with, he discovered, were firefighters. Mm-hmm. All volunteers, however. Mm-hmm. He found that out later. Now, 30 years later, been a fireman all that time. I asked him, would you work for free? He said, you bet. But don't tell city council. Right. Yeah. No. Um, no. In San Antonio, maybe in one of the outlying areas, maybe. But in San Antonio, no. And the fire department has changed quite a bit um, in the last few years. It's You know, his dad was a firefighter as well. And so it's not the same fire department that his dad was in. But it's a job. It's a, And it's a good job. And he's very proud of what he does. And he gives it his all when he goes. But no, he wouldn't do it for free. And I wouldn't let him because the stress is absolutely terrible. We do believe that this stress from it is what actually caused his dad to have a heart attack at 39. 39? At 39. Uh-huh. And his, none of his siblings had any kind of heart disease or mother and father wow. lived to be in the, well into their 90s. And so, yeah, it was a lot of the stress because Tommy took a lot of stuff to heart, especially with the kids. So to do that for free, no, never. I asked the chief, what are the best memories he has? Delivering babies, which he's oh, done. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Now I tell you this, in my line of work, um, as a nurse practitioner, what I do, what I do for free, absolutely, any day of the week, any day of the week, because I do believe that patient care is a calling, and cool. and it is one of those things that is is. It comes from your heart. You my, you can ask my parents, my grandparents. My great-grandmother was a nurse in an Indian, Indian tuberculosis hospital up in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Wow. And, uh, and very little money that they made. Um, but she was college educated. And ever since I knew about her when I was a little kid, I only wanted to be a nurse. you have any photos of her in uniform? I do. I do. And I actually was pinned in nursing school with her pin. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's pretty cool. It's, it's really cool. And... Um, but yeah, I would do what I do for free. Long as we're talking about a lot of different stuff, I've heard in the last three or four weeks 
about younger people having strokes. Mm-hmm. And we just saw one. We just saw a very popular actor who, you know, who died, Luke Perry, who right. died of, of, a stroke. of a stroke. Yeah. Heard of so, someone, uh, a woman who works in media and her boyfriend in his 20s mm-hmm. died of a stroke. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about high blood pressure, you know, coming full circle, being that silent killer, you know, people need to understand things are hereditary in life, not just, you know, it's it's nature versus nurture, we think, but a lot of times it's nature and nurture. And if you come from a family background, like, for example, my husband, who his father had a heart attack at 39, that prompted me to say, okay. How's your life insurance? Even though, Right. Even though, um, you know, this could have been n- not nature. This could have been actually nurture in your career. Let's go get a calcium score just to know what your odds are. What does that mean? It, it was an actual CAT scan that he can have done to look at his arteries and to see what his risk of heart attack is. And it's an out-of-pocket expense. It's about $100 if you're wanting to know, you know, if you want to know what your score is. But to me, that was worth it. And um, we went and had that done to know, hey, it, you know, my husband was coming up at 39 at the time. And I said, you know, are you going to have a heart attack? That's that's my question. You know, we have young children and we have a farm and 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 it's really rude of him to do that. Exactly. You know, it's very inconvenient for you yeah. to put me through this. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, so we had a calcium score just to know what our odds were. How do you do? And he did well. He did very well. Now. Exercise. You know, you hear about people who exercise frequently and they eat healthy and they still have a stroke. It, sometimes it's just your natural genetics, but getting checked and going to the doctor starting earlier, um, getting blood pressure checks, paying attention to headaches, um, paying attention to vision changes, those are the things that you need to pay attention to, that your body is screaming, something is wrong, and you need to go get checked. A friend of mine, the first Spurs coyote, Tim Dirk, who was very public about having had a stroke, wrote mm-hmm. a book about it. And he was I've interviewed active. Him. Yeah. 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 He was in incredible shape. Yeah. He was an athlete. Uh, he thought he was bulletproof. Mm-hmm. He ignored the earlier yep. symptoms yep. of uh, transitory uh, strokes. Yep. And finally, it hit him, full-blown stroke, when he was walking into a hospital doing a public appearance. Right, right. He was lucky. Exactly. He was in the right place at right the right place. time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. is if People who have had strokes will usually tell you, if I only would have known And what I'm telling people today is you do know. You have the information out there. Your body is telling you, go get checked. If you're just not feeling good, your doctor is not going to ever make fun of you for walking in and call you a hypochondriac if there's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with getting checked early. I'm saying at 20, 25, 30, every year, every five years, you need to get in there and get checked, get blood work done. It's never too late or too early. Well, the woman I know whose boyfriend died of a stroke. Uh, in his 20s. Never would have expected that. No, they're usually the healthiest people. They're usually the healthiest people, but again, they have some type of genetic issue where it's usually blood pressure and they didn't know. And and they, you know, it's too late by the time that they find out. Now, you mentioned it doesn't hurt to check your blood pressure at home. Right. I've had the worst luck with meters I've bought to okay. use at home. They keep breaking. Uh, it's probably just you, Ron. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it could be. It, you know, Misuse. Some, <laughs> some people, you know, get really bad machines. And, and I say keep your receipt. If it does break, keep your receipt. If you get it at usually Walmart, they'll take it back pretty quickly or exchange it. Well, H-E-B would take H-E-B it back. H-E-B will too. take yeah. it back. Um, Walgreens, CVS, a lot of these big box, big box stores will take it back. I just quit back. taking it. Well, and that's not a good thing, right? That's, no. That's not a good thing at all. Now, it is a little more difficult for you for some of these automatic meters because you have atrial fibrillation so it's really hard to detect what the blood pressure truly is. I have a, a woman I know is a medical assistant who takes my blood pressure at uh, one of my doctor's offices, and she said the other day, I love listening to your heart. Isn't it cool? Because it's so different. It is. It is. It beats to its own drum. Yeah. It makes its own music. Right. Yeah. So for the automated machine, they have trouble with that? They do. And so a lot of times, even if you go to your doctor's office and they do the, the automated I machine. I won't use it. I tell them, yeah, do they'll, it Yeah, they'll go ahead and do it manually because yeah. it'll give you some astronomical reading. Right. Because the, the machine just can't pick it up. 
Exactly. Yeah, so it's always best to just have somebody manually listen to it. You could even buy a sphygmometer, and somebody can teach your wife how to measure your blood pressure. It's very, very simple to do. That's the thing you wrap around and pump it up? It is, it is. And get a stethoscope. It, nothing has to be expensive. And you can get those at your local uniform stores where they sell scrubs. And, and yeah, you can check your blood pressure that way. But someone had to teach her how to do that. Somebody could teach her how, but it's really not difficult to teach somebody how to measure blood pressure. Can't do it yourself? You can, but you've got to be able to finagle those stethoscope oh. and the, the the device and, and make sure that it's going down, titrating correctly, and you're listening. Yeah, it's probably best for somebody else to do it with a, you know an objective, objective set of ears. Interesting. Yeah. So you said once a day you should check your blood pressure? Once a day if you're on blood pressure medication. At the same time every day? No, no. I want people to check it at different times so that they know. Because it varies. Exactly. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, at noontime it's going to vary, but before it will, you know, when you wake up or when you're out mowing the grass. So you need to know what your body responds to. I don't mow grass. Me neither. I have a husband to do that for me. And it, I don't have He any. uses the, <laughs> the riding lawnmower. Right. And we use cows for the rest of it, right? <laughs> now, do they clip it evenly? No. They no. clip it down to the, down to the dirt. <laughs> um, huh. No, but, it, but I'm... But, at different times of the day, your blood pressure is going to vary, and you need to know what your ranges are based on what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I have to look, uh, see whether Gina will do uh, manual blood pressure checks on her husband. Um, yeah, she could be taught. We'll see. She could be taught, but then again, she might say, you know what? You need to learn to do that one yourself, Ron. Hold that thought. We come right back to you on Well Radio. She's Cora Juke, our nurse practitioner, co host. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Thank you so much for listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer, and podcasts of all of our shows are available just Google WellMed Radio and the podcast will indeed pop up. We've been talking about blood pressure, talking about a variety of uh, uh, issues. Uh, I want to jump for a moment to what physicians, your PCP, and, and you as a nurse practitioner will do on a regular basis to check on an individual's health. Uh, someone I know was recently uh, diagnosed with potential liver cancer mm-hmm. uh, and, and is going to go see a, a uh, you know oncologist. And I was curious, how did they pick it up? And the answer is that regular blood screens, checking liver enzymes, uh, showed that they were high and then the next time very high. Mm -hmm. So he sent that person for an MRI and they saw a spot on on, on her liver. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important that you get routine maintenance um, checks with your with your physician or your primary care provider. Um, every three months is is usually something that we check for people who have chronic diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Um, for people who are relatively healthy. Going anywhere between three and six months for blood work is important. Um, And I tell people that they really should get their blood work started 
being checked at 40 years old because women need to start having mammograms at 40. They need to start having their cholesterol checked and you need to know what your longevity is going to be. You know, in, in looking and planning for quality of life, you need to know what your blood work looks like, you know, what your cholesterol looks like because that stuff right now can take effect and, and how you're going to feel 20 years from now. So, you know, between three and six months is how often and how frequently we measure blood work. Um, and then once a year for sure, if you're not doing that, once a year for sure, you have to go to your doctor's office, establish some type of connection with a provider that you can at least have baseline blood work. But so many people say, and you've heard this, I know, Cora, hey, look, I feel great. What do I need to go? I'll go when I'm sick. Exactly. And I tell them what you don't know will, will absolutely hurt you and or kill you. You know, if your blood pressure is high and you don't go into your doctor and you just dismiss it as a headache and take some Tylenol and it feels better, then you don't go in and you don't know what's going on. And then you can't say later, or you can, I guess, say, you know, five, five years down the road when your blood sugar has spiked up and you feel terrible and you're getting ready to lose a toe. Well, I had no idea. Well, if you would have come in five years ago, I probably could have diagnosed you early and I could have saved your feet. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I give a harsh reality, a very harsh dose of reality to my patients sometimes. And I say, here's my example. Do you go, do you drive? And they usually say, yes. I said, do you get your oil changed when the car tells you to or every three or six months? And they say, yes. I said, is there something wrong with your car? No. Do you do it so that your car will keep going? Yes. What happens if you ran out of oil? Well, my car wouldn't go. My car would break. It would be expensive. I said, it's the same thing with your health. You just have to go get that routine maintenance done. And it's just as important. Your car is less important than your own health. You mentioned diabetes and uh, amputations. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who is an epidemiologist, Dr. Anil Mangla, uh, we were talking the other day about how this community leads the nation in amputations uh, due to diabetes. Nothing to be proud of. No, it's very, very sad statistic. We have a very, very high concentration of diabetic patients here. We have a very high concentration of non-adherent diabetic patients. And I hate that word non-adherence and non-compliance is, is my absolute worst, worst word. I hate it. I detest it. But let's face it. We have patients who just are not compliant with their treatment regimen. And I think as physicians and, and primary care providers, we've done a poor job of educating patients. We've done a poor job of saying, look, here's the reason why, not just here's medication. We need to discuss why and discuss what you're willing to do to make yourself better. Non-adherence when you have diabetes is like playing Russian roulette with a bullet in every chamber. You're exactly right. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. So the moral of the story, get your flu shot every year. You know, talk about blood pressure with your doctor. Get your routine screenings. Have somebody, an accountability partner with your diet and exercise program so that you can live a longer, healthier, happier life. Thank you. Absolutely. Cora Juke, nurse practitioner. I'm Ron Aaron. You've been listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. We'll catch you again next week, Sundays at 5 p.m. You can also download and listen to podcasts so that you can uh, listen again to a show you liked or, well, I hope you like them all, or uh, you can download and listen to a show that you may have missed. We'll catch you again next week. I'm Ron Aaron with Cora Juke, WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.